Okay, guys, this bonus episode is epic. You will not want to miss it. Last month, I was able to talk with Bob Ruff, who is an icon, an idol. I was so thankful to have him on our show. He is the incredible host of both the Truth and Justice podcast as well as True Crime Binge. I was on his show a couple months ago, True Crime Binge, where he talks with different true crime content creators, different authors, different podcasters, and whatnot. What he does on Truth and Justice is crowdsource investigations in real time. So he's asking his listeners to help him with the investigations as he takes on new potential wrongful conviction cases. Bob helped free Ed Eights of a wrongful conviction, and he's been close with the West Memphis 3 case. He has been close with the Adnan Syed case, and we get into these cases in our interview today. On top of his incredible podcasting journey, Bob was also the host and a producer on Oxygen's The Forgotten West Memphis 3 TV miniseries that aired back in 2020. He's really cool, you guys, and he knows his stuff. So I'm very glad he's able to come on our podcast and share with you guys the details into some of these cases that I could have never given you without him. I'm going to forewarn you real quick before we jump into it that when I interviewed him, my voice was on the brink of death. I actually was coming out of death. It was horrifying and I did my best to sound normal, but thankfully Bob talks most of the time, so you don't have to listen to me too much. Just bear through my raspy, raspy voice. With that, let's jump into it. So, Bob, I am so grateful that you're here with me today. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm happy. I'm happy to join you anytime. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk about wrongful convictions with you, especially just because I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around wrongful convictions. And I think the more knowledge they have, the better we can understand these things and obviously like do advocacy work like you're doing. But before we get into all of that, I would love to talk about how you got into the true crime podcasting. You were a firefighter before this. Right. Yeah, it was um, it was kind of an accident, really. Um, I'm, I'm never... Mm-hmm. So I was just at uh, Obsessed Fest a few weeks ago. Um, yes. And, I, and they, they put me into play like true crime Jeopardy and true crime Family Feud and found out that mm-hmm. I know very little about true crime. I've never been a big true crime <laughs> fan. Um Okay. Yeah, so I was, as most people know, I was a fireman, and I was, uh, I listened to a lot of like comedy podcasts mostly, actually. And one of the shows mm-hmm. that I listened to regularly kept talking about the serial podcast. I had no idea what it was, mm-hmm. so I listened to the serial podcast, and it, it, and I went into it having no, I didn't know it was about true crime. I had no idea what it was. All I know oh. was that Jimmy Pardo kept bitching about the fact that they kept saying that it was like the first podcast and he'd been around for longer. So I so I tuned it in. He's like, no, mine is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I tuned in just having no idea. I'm like, well, what is this thing everybody's talking about? And just like everyone else, I was hooked with the story and hooked with the case. And, you know, I was, also an, I'm not, was an arson investigator as well. So like that kind of investigative part of my oh. mind was like, wait a minute, this is like a puzzle that, and then it was over and it was like, there's, Wait a minute! Like, there's we didn't figure this out. Like, let's go. So I start. You know, I was trying to get anybody I knew to listen to it. Um, very few people that I knew were listening to it. So I literally started oh. back then. The truth and justice now. What was Serial Dynasty? One day, my kid was homesick. I actually had some podcasting equipment that I had I bought um, for another project before this, and I was like, well. Maybe I'll have this idea like a book club since none of my friends will talk to me about it. My wife's sick and tired of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> and so if you listen to like season one, episode one of, of Truth and Justice, it's me going like, hey, guys. So I'm interested in the Anand Syed Heyman Lee case. And I think you are, too. So why don't you tell me what you think? 
and then we'll talk about it. And I kind of like yeah, tracked along. Let's chat. Yeah, and I kind of tracked along with undisclosed, and I would like read emails people would send in, and it just it went from there to being like you know it kind of ran out of just material that was out there and started like I had unanswered questions, and I started reaching out to witnesses and kind of before I knew it, I was in the middle of my own investigation into the case. And yeah. had never intended to do that. And then from there, people started writing in, asking me to cover other cases. And, and the rest is just kind of history. That's really cool. I didn't realize that you just became like obsessed with that case mm-hmm. and almost just got yourself involved in it. Is that how you met like Robbie Chaudhry and got really involved with her? Yeah, I've always said that I really owe my career because, you know, I, I left the fire department less than a year later, took an early retirement, and started podcasting full time. Um, I say I, was, I owe my career to Rabia because when I started putting out the Serial Dynasty episodes, she was listening. She probably had Google alerts or something um, okay. set up on the case. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, was listening to it. And then she started tweeting about it. And then all of a sudden my audience was growing very rapidly, very quickly because Rabia was tweeting yeah. about my show. And then uh, she mentioned it on Undisclosed a couple of times. And then that's – yeah. And so eventually you know, I had, I had Susan and Colin and Rabia on as guests. I did interviews with them. And then as we got further and further into it, then it got to be Robbie and I definitely got to be very close friends. We're still matter of fact, she was just texting me before I came in here um, to record this. Um, we got to be you know very close friends, and we were you know Susan and Colin are the more were the two more reserved uh, people on uh-huh. on undisclosed. Where Robbie was like, <laughs> Bob, let's solve this thing. Let's go. And then and so we yeah. you know she wanted to do this yeah yeah so she so she and I started kind of working together like that and then yeah since then we've just been really good friends and have been working through that case you know together for years and years since then yeah and she's done really incredible work with um with Adon Syed and I have there's a little bit of controversy around serial now mm-hmm. right yeah so. How is that for you, like going into it, being so obsessed with that show and that's really what got you into it and then just working through like what's problematic? Well, I, I mean, for me, I and I know this, this is like contra- there, there's there's the narrative out there that is, yeah, serial left questions unanswered, but without serial then you know, we wouldn't non wouldn't be free now but but I don't I don't believe that at all you know Robbie right. was was the driving force behind it you know and Sarah Koenig was the first journalist she reached out to who told mm-hmm. the story and it was a captivating and she did she was a great storyteller uh-huh. but to think that Robbie wouldn't have continued on that journey right. without Sarah Koenig is ridiculous um yeah. but yeah I mean I lost a lot of respect for for Sarah Koenig when you know when when the case like got back at first of all I started doing my show and no one gave a shit it was called again it was called Serial Dynasty and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. the show got bigger and then at one point I passed Serial in the podcast charts and then immediately get Mm -hmm. a cease and desist letter from uh, this American or from the Serial people telling me to stop using their which it was you know like my lawyer was like you can that's they don't own the name Siri like they no can't do that. <laughs> didn't matter because I was yeah. rebranding anyway but um and then when when the non went to court in 2016 it was like Sarah told the story and then had nothing to do with it and then it was like oh he's back in court again now well now I want to be involved again and then you know his conviction was overturned and reinstated disappears again and then it's like oh now he's you know we're back in court again and he's getting out and it's like boom she's you know she's in every picture right there with the microphone and she did you know what really got me was she did update episode and gave Rabia no credit for what's that 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 thoroughly pissed me off she she how did she put it it was it's not a quote but to paraphrase it she said something along the lines of she had done all this work on on Adnan's case, and then you know Robbie had brought it to her, and Robbie even did kind of her own little thing, is how she put it. No mention of the undisclosed podcast, the tireless work right. that her and Susan and Colin did, and the people that were helping them. Um, mm-hmm. So just just you know acted like you know Robbie just she did her own little thing. Uh, it was irritating. Yeah, but, but beyond that, I think Robbie. I won't speak for Robbie, but I know that there's problems too that Sarah. May you know, people are like, well, she stayed neutral, she stayed by, but but she didn't because she had access to a lot of information that mm-hmm. she intentionally kept out of that story to keep the story more ambiguous. 
that's not neutral journalism. Being neutral. Yeah. 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 When it was, you know, it's like we we spent what an entire episode on whether or not a non stole money out of the collection played at the at the mosque. You know, mm-hmm. when there were other huge issues that she had information about that she left out because she, she wanted to keep it neutral and ambiguous, and it just, yeah, it. I'm not a fan. I guess I'll. I'll yeah, <laughs> I. I no, that's I've mostly gained any of my knowledge about cereal being problematic from Robbie's Twitter. Uh huh. Is really kind of where I saw it because I've heard cereal as I started listening to podcasts. I think in the beginning probably like you a lot of people just started listening to it Mm -hmm. and I never heard really anything negative and then with Adnan being freed I've been following Rabia's Twitter a lot Mm -hmm. and she was you know posting about it and I've been following along with that so she really gave me like the knowledge that it was problematic I actually this is kind of funny I didn't listen to Serial myself through like the whole thing I listened to Patrick and Jillian's coverage on True okay. Crime Obsessed, they covered Serial in their Patreon, and they I just love them, and they're mm-hmm. funny, and so I that's really where I heard about her episodes, and I kind of just followed her coverage of it through them, but yeah, so it sounds like Sarah was a little more focused on it being a podcast, and like the popularity of her podcast versus really following through with the case. That that's the way it feels to me, and and, and yeah. what I won't take away from from Sarah Koenig and the and the team at This American Life that put it together is they're great. She's a great storyteller. Like like she told yeah. a great compelling story that left everyone asking questions. The problem with it mm-hmm. is it's not a story. It's a real person's several people's real lives that she was talking about yeah. with real impacts and mm-hmm. to to. Le- to, to intentionally leave people on the fence when she had information that probably would have leaned them the other way had she truly been neutral about mm-hmm. it is is where my problem is. That that was a problem I had with it. Her her saying Rabia just did her own little thing. That's when I was like, okay, fuck you, Sarah. Sorry, I don't know if you swear on your show. Give a beat button. <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, hey, that's enough. I mean. Because you might as well give credit where credit's due when you're yeah. collabing with people and you all, if you all have the same goal and intention in mind, right. why would you not want to like give them a shout out, especially Rabia, who's yeah. put so much work Well, that was the this. thing is there's this weird like competitive deal with her and like clearly it doesn't yeah. have to exist. You know, Rabia and I were both no. doing podcasts about the same case at the same time and collab together as much as we possibly could throughout that process. Mm-hmm. Whereas we go to the, I still remember going to the hearing, and Sarah was at that hearing in 2016. Now, like, she had sent me a letter, and I walked by and just, and I said hi. Like, at that point, I was like, oh, it's Sarah Koenig. Hi, Sarah. I'm Bob Ruff. And she just looked at me and was like, oh, who the hell are you? Which I guess is understandable. But she didn't even acknowledge Rabia. She just walked right by Rabia. Didn't even say hi to her or nothing. And and at that point, Rabia never said anything negative about her. I think it's just Mm -hmm. very much like, I want to be the best. I want to be the voice of the story. And she's not. Rabia, and Susan, like, and Colin are the voices of, the, of, of a non-story. Yeah. Yeah. And there's plenty of people in this world that there's many people who can tune into multiple shows. It doesn't have to be. I mean, someone's yeah. life, like you said, their real life story isn't mm-hmm. owned by one single person. And the more people talking about it, the better. 100%. So yeah. That, that is very strange. Like behavior, I guess, when you're covering a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw on Twitter as well through Rabia, there was this tweet, and you commented on it as well, where mm-hmm. this person was saying, like, it's so dangerous to put this narrative out there for people that are wrongfully convicted that probably actually did it. I don't remember exactly how it read, but I was wondering how you guys deal with that being like the voice for someone that was wrongfully convicted you obviously like very much believe in Adnan I do as well um so when people are coming at you like that acting like you know you're doing the wrong thing mm-hmm. how is that to like combat I mean there's a 
was a sliding scale over the over the years. It used to really bother me. I really used to feel like I needed to respond to every negative comment. And you get it, – it's not even really getting jaded to, but it's just kind of like you get – it's like, okay, when you're covering wrongful convictions, they're by nature going to be controversial. There's always going to be a sect of people that believe the person that you think is innocent is guilty, and the Internet's mm-hmm. a nasty place. So they're going to come and be ugly and nasty as much as they can – on the internet. So over over the years, for the most part, I just ignore it. I don't look at uh, mm-hmm. anything that comes, you know, I'll just scroll past it. I don't, you know, I'll block people sometimes, but I just, I don't do a lot of social media in general. Um, yeah. You know, just be, because of the ugliness on the internet. That particular, I know the one you're, you're talking about, it just, that just <laughs> happened to be enough of my friends, my, my real life friends that are on yeah. Twitter had commented on it. That it was like, you're like, like I'm done. in my feed, like, Bob, look, <laughs> yeah. look, you know, and I was, and it was, it, it was, it was, I don't even know who this, who this person was, but they, they made, no. but, but they were like, you know, they had a, a pretty big following and they were, they were talking about how irresponsible it was to cover these wrongful convictions. And, and they, and what pissed me off was they, they said, you know, with the obvious murderer, Anand Syed, grow, you know, the, you know, horrible, vile murderer, Anand Syed. And something about it just triggers like, if you have such a level of cognitive dissonance that you cannot even bring yourself at this point to say, okay, maybe. I'm not even saying to yeah. agree that – but, you know, when when you know Jay has changed his story over and over again now, even since Serial came out has changed his story, uh, he's out of it. All of the evidence that's been disproven, I think the, 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 the key thing in the entire case is, is the coach size alibi that was proven by the undisclosed team that – you know, there was one single day where they practiced outside during Ramadan, and it was the day that that um, Hay was killed. That he has a solid alibi, mm-hmm. and then the district attorney that the office that prosecuted him said there's two other viable suspects. With me, one of them has means, motives, and opportunity. And we've done DNA testing, and we found DNA on the scene that does not belong to Hay or Adnan. <coughs> Excuse me. All these, and they say the conviction. We do not have faith in this conviction, and they let it. When all that is going on, and you yeah. still maintain the position of he's one hundred percent murdering ass. Like, give me a break. <laughs> like you're 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 not yeah. being intellectually honest with yourself if you can't at least say, you know what? Maybe there's something going on here. I'm going to hold off into calling somebody this horrible thing until we see how this shakes out. To be that, to be that insistent that they're right, it, that was what got me with that comment. I don't remember what I commented back, yeah. but I remember doing it. I, I don't remember either. I just kind of saw it and thought like that would be so frustrating mm-hmm. to get comments like that. And like you said, when everybody like, there's all these things that play into it. To not even take a step back and be like, maybe like I'm yeah. not really sure on this, but I I noticed one of the comments said something along the lines of like the court system is not just going to let people out on murder chart like who they have as a convicted murderer because you and Rabia say so and I right. was like exactly yeah that's ridiculous like, to think that you know and, and you, have the, you have the same group with you know I, in my season five I covered the West Memphis three case you have the same type of people there that like they will literally be like well Jesse Miss Kelly confessed seven times it's like have you like if you if you've listened to literally one hundred percent of every single expert ever that's listened that is all said <laughs> literally he they knows do nothing not all of that information came from the police it, it's just yeah. like like I said they're, they're, people just are not being intellectually honest if they can't even if they can't even get to a point of ambiguity where it's just like no one hundred percent and is so like Adnan's case the West Memphis three case so go back to when it all began, right? To the to the point when this mm-hmm. person established that opinion and what right. information was out there. And then back now go through all the different information that's come out about that case since. You're telling me that zero of that, none of that had any impact whatsoever on your feelings on the case. Like like you you can't right. tell me that's true. You know, it, it, it's people are just no. so and that's why because people will say, well, shouldn't you be interacting and taking criticism? I don't have any problem taking criticism. I'm just not listening to idiot assholes on the internet. Like it's, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't phase me. Somebody who, care. like I said, establishes an opinion with X number of facts, and then over the course of years gets 50 new facts that come in that are actual facts. 
and that doesn't sway right. their opinion at all, well, then I'm not wasting my time having yeah. a conversation with that person. Yeah, it's people who are not taking in the new information, like not almost not even accepting the new information, just being stuck in mm-hmm. their opinion of way back long ago before all this stuff was out. And then not critically thinking, I guess, just believing what they were told way back then. There will be people like hypothetically, let's say that the DNA that was found on Hay's shoes comes back to be one of these two suspects that were identified by the DA. And that Mm -hmm. person has no excuse, no reason, no any reason, possibility of having put their DNA on those shoes. 100%. 100%. They mm-hmm. have found the killer with scientific evidence. There, I guarantee there will still be people that will insist that Nansayed's guilty. Absolutely. That happened. When I came on your show, I talked about Angie Dodge's case where Christopher mm-hmm. Tapp was wrongfully convicted here out of Idaho Falls. And even when he was exonerated because his DNA didn't match, there were still interviews with Ken Brown, who was one of the officers that did his interrogations. He still maintained that he believed even if the dna matched someone he still thinks chris was there like he could not let go Mm -hmm. of the fact that he didn't match and he said himself if it happens to be someone else i still believe chris helped yeah and what's your reason for that well it's because that's who i picked years ago that must have been the right person so how could i have been wrong right and it (laughs) it's funny to me with um law enforcement how they want to maintain their position so badly, almost like for their pride or to like save face, but it would look so much better for them if they could just come out and say, I was wrong. Like we were wrong. Yeah. We apologize. Well, and, 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 and to be fair, there are, there are police officers and district attorneys out there that do that. There, yes. there are like for me, like people think, oh, you must hate cops. And I don't at no. all. I hate bad cops. Yeah. Bad DA. <laughs> exactly. You know, like like Mosby, you know, she's mm-hmm. in that position and she looked at the case and said, guys, we screwed up here. Yeah. Then he needs to go home. He's mm-hmm. he lost 23 years of his life. He needs to go home. There's, you know, one of the experts, you know, that I brought on in my investigation into the Jesse Miss Kelly confession was Jim Trainum. You know, he kind of got into that line of work because he used the read technique. And you know he's like the world's one of the world's false conve- uh, false confession experts okay. worldwide now, mm-hmm. and and all that came came to be because he was when he was a detective he interviewed this woman, used the read technique and and got her to confess to the crime, and then later was reviewing the evidence and realized there was evidence showing that she was across town when the crime happened, and he went back to her. And went to the court and said, guys, that was a false confession. Like, we have proof here. She didn't do it. Like, maybe. Wow. So there, there are good cops yeah, out there, course. but yeah. there are also bad cops out there. Mm-hmm. I wish, like, the other people who are trying to save their face could just see that, like, they're going to be so much better off if they just follow that lead. So the, I, the thing is, like cops, cops are human beings, and yeah. so they're good and bad. There's mm-hmm. a there's a in there and everything in between there. It's just like people on the internet right yes. they're all just people like there's mm-hmm. there's good ones and there's bad and there's really bad ones yeah. you know, it's a spectrum yeah i've said on my podcast many times like there are good and bad eggs within every group like every part of life there's good and bad bad eggs in religion in law enforcement in mm-hmm. whatever you know you're gonna find that yeah. everywhere so i read um a few articles when adnan was being released and it seemed like Hayes' family was a little bit disappointed. Are they? Do you know if they're struggling a little bit with him being let out? I mean, ultimately, hopefully, they can actually find who really killed her, and it can come full circle for them. But I didn't know if you know. Right now, it was hard. I don't. I, I think that I think that uh, Young Lee, who's Hayes' brother, has, a, a, in my opinion, just from mm-hmm. my observing from the outside, it seems to me that he has a lawyer that's taking advantage of him. And I say that because you know, you know the mm-hmm. lawyers at the hearing uh, when the conviction was overturned, you know, wanted to delay it because he wasn't given enough notice and he couldn't be there. And you know, the judge was like, "Well, we told him last week and we gave him a Zoom link yeah. to be here." And he said, "Well, he's at work." And so, so she said, "Okay, well, let's." We'll wait then. We'll mm-hmm. delay for a half hour and let him come after work, and he can come on Zoom and and say his piece. And 
and so when they did that, we got to hear his piece. And, and, and what he said was, you know, he feels betrayed. He feels like the district attorney was – the prosecution was on his side. But mm-hmm. what he also said was, but the idea that, that the person that killed my sister has been out there and free for 23 years kills me. And so I trust the DA to do the right thing. Oh. And, and, th- and that was right out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Where he said, you know, it, it, you know, the way I took that was, I thought you guys got the right guy. You guys, you know, I thought we were on the same team here. Now you're telling me that he's not the right guy. I don't know if he is or not. I don't want this to. I don't want you to let the right guy or let him out if he did it. But at the same time, if someone else did it, I want you to go freaking get him. Yeah, is what he said. Now oh. after the fact, his attorney. With the so there's a whole political mess there because of course. the attorney general Brian Brian Frosch had that case file for seven years before Marilyn Mosby got it and Marilyn Mosby finds all this Brady material in there. She says they were hiding it and not disclosing it to the defense. They say, oh, it was in there the whole time. Uh, so she publicly calls them out. Then suddenly, this other attorney for for Young Lee comes out and says, well, we're going to file an appeal. And the the attorney Brian Frosch himself is the one that's going to defend it. And to me, there's just yeah. there's just a lot of you've got. It appears that you have an attorney general that just got egg all over his face that's trying mm-hmm. to clean up his own mess, and you've got an attorney that's that's playing ball with him and is. It looks like he's taking advantage of of Young because yeah. you know he he. I heard what he said. I, I heard what he said. When, or, when I didn't hear it, but I read what he said mm-hmm. when he had his chance to speak. And then to say that he has this like huge issue with this and wants to undo it, that just doesn't jive with me with what he said when he spoke. No, that actually sounds so much different than what I read, where like the narrative that right. I read was more that he was upset. But what you said makes sense, where he sounds more frustrated with the DA and, you know, the people who he thought had mm-hmm. the right person and now he wants yeah. the actual right person that might makes a lot more sense i'm glad yeah. i asked I'm sure you that i'm sure he's conflicted on all yeah. of it and i'm sure it's hard on him but you know his words were that he hates the idea that the person that killed his sister could have been out free for the last 23 years yeah and he trusts that the da will do the right thing he put his faith in marilyn mosby to make the right decision mm-hmm. and i think that she did yeah, no, absolutely. So with they came out, they had like 30 days to decide if they were going to recharge him or not, right? So, mm-hmm. I, I, and you might have to explain it to me. I'm not sure if I'm reiterating it perfectly, but will they be able to charge him in the future? Or was that, that like they had 30 days and now he can never, they can't come back for him again? Or like, how does that work? I think I'm not a lawyer, but I believe so. When the conviction was overturned, it started a 30 day clock that says you have 30 days to either say because you know they because he was over the the conviction was not overturned based on actual innocence; it was overturned based on constitutional violations. Okay. So 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 a technically what happened was that conviction was vacated and a new trial was ordered um, when the conviction was over was overturned. So where that puts, I just tell people where that puts pe- puts the defendant in like the space-time continuum is like if you go back in time now to where he's been arrested and he's waiting trial. So that's, so it basically puts him back at 1999. The oh. trial never happened. He's arrested. In mm-hmm. his case, they let him go free but gave him an ankle monitor. Okay. But they can't drag, some states will drag this out forever. Uh, in Maryland, evidently, they, they you have 30 days to tell us, to tell the court we want to retry him, give us a date, or we're dropping the charges from him. You can't just keep him in this limbo indefinitely. Right. Well, then it was three weeks later uh, when Marilyn, when they got the D- – and Marilyn Mosby said, we're waiting on some DNA results. So we'll see. Three weeks later, they got the DNA results. They found a mixture of two people's DNAs that were not Adnan's, Jay's, or Hayes on her shoes. And that was enough. And she said, now we are officially dropping the charges. So – he the charges are dropped. He is okay. now he is back to go back to before he was arrested. The, like the clock doesn't has need been an ankle monitor. Isn't being Nothing. tracked. Yep, he's he's back to where he was not even arrested yet. Now, 
Could a DA later? Marilyn Mosby obviously won't. Yeah. They have collected. I think they've gotten all the DNA results they can get. They've got all the physical evidence. She knows the case. She doesn't think there's a case there. Now, when she leaves office, and uh, Ivan Bates, I think I think is the guy that that is taking over for her um, in in February or January. When he takes over, technically, I believe he could say, "I'm looking at this evidence, and I'm going to go ahead and charge you again, and charge you for this, and take him back." That's not not going to happen for several reasons. One, Bates has been um, outspoken in the past that he believes there was many problems with that conviction, and mm-hmm. he kind of promised to work on the case already. So he's he's already on the same side of this issue as Marilyn Mosby was. Two, even if, even if Kevin Urich himself, which was the original prosecutor, even if he somehow had got gets elected and gets in there, if he tried to, if someone tried to take a non-Syed back to trial right now, remember there was never any physical evidence. It was all this weird circumstantial stuff. Yeah. So now they have to go without Jay. First of all, I don't think Jay would ever testify again. Secondly, he would never like I said, he's changed the story even since yeah. then. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different versions of the story now, plus you know, in his interviews with um the HBO documentary and the things he said then. Jay's off the table. He can't mm-hmm. go. So that was their primary piece of evidence. And they used the cell phone data to corroborate Jay's story, even though that's what it was built around. If you study the case, they right. they took the cell phone data and had him build the story around it. But so it was like Jay told a story. Here comes the cell phone expert. They literally put it on a board in front of the jury. He goes, well, Jay said at 7 o'clock they're at the burial site, and he got a call from Christy. Look here on the cell phone records. at 7 o'clock. A call comes in from Christy that hits this tower in this place, right? So right. that's what convicted. Well, since then, it's been proven that the cell phone records are completely unreliable, and all those cannot be used. Mm-hmm. So now that. they have to go to trial. Yeah, they have to go to trial. That's what the conviction was overturned the first time for. Okay. The so now they would have to go to trial without Jay, without cell phone records, without any fingerprints, without any DNA, without any witnesses, yeah. with nothing. So there's just no possible way that they could possibly take him back and try him again. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So it could, but not likely. Yeah, not so in the real world. Were no. you able to go out there and be like there when he was let out? No. No. So first of all, it happened way too fast. Like I yeah. found out on Sunday that there was a hearing on Monday. Yeah, you know, I remember or, or, no, seeing it was like I think. Tweets. Yeah, so I'm trying to think back about it. So it was it was Wednesday because we were recording our follow up episode and we do it on okay. Twitter on uh, YouTube Live. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, like while we were recording through the chat, Marilyn Mosby has announced that she filed a motion with a judge to overturn the conviction. Well, I've worked in Texas for a long time. And I've had people that have stamped, like, you're going to be released and it takes six months right. before they get out. So I'm like, great, now we just have to go before a judge. Hopefully a judge agrees with it. Mm-hmm. And then it was like Sunday afternoon. I Again, like I said, I don't do social media. So like the weekend, like I'm oblivious. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> so uh, somebody had texted me and they're like, holy shit, there's a, the hearings tomorrow. Are you going to Baltimore? I was like, uh, you mean in Six hours? Like, like no. what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then I, yeah, it just all happened way too fast. Oh, yeah. So and then, crazy. like, I, you know, I, I, of course, wanted to be there. You know, I, I want to be there at some point, but I've just, I've said this before on my show that, like, right now is not like this is not my story to tell. It's, it's Robbie's Robbie story to tell. Mm-hmm. And in, Anon needs time with his family. And, you know, I would love to go shake his hand and sit down and meet Anon oh, in yeah. person. Um, but that, that time will come. Right now, right. I just want him to be able to do what he needs to do with his family and with Rabia and everybody else. So I'm just kind of just just staying out of the way right now. Yeah. And she was able to be there. I saw she went. You kind yeah. of did. I actually should have thought of this before I even asked if you went. Because I actually saw you did, like, uh, I don't know, a little live type thing or like yeah. a conversation where you guys were waiting for just kind of on a whim. I was where I was trying to write a script on the uh-huh. day that the hearing was going to happen. And I was like, I was sitting in my office by myself mm-hmm. and I was like, well, what could I do where I can be with other people? So right. I just went on our fan page for truth and justice and said, Hey, here's a zoom link. Anybody that wants to hop on zoom and hang out with me while we watch this. Yeah. And you know, thinking that 
you know, maybe a couple people would. And like within seconds, it, it maxed out. My my Zoom account will allow 100 people on there. Easy. It was maxed out with 100 people. Wow. And so we were, and Jillian Pensavalli is a friend mm-hmm. of mine too from True Crime Obsessed. She happened to be one of the first ones that saw it and hopped on. So I Jillian that. and I were on there with everybody. She's and, so uh, cool. Yeah. And, we, and then after a little while, somebody, somebody was like, you know, for the people that can't be a part of it, can you link it? So I ended up linking it to YouTube Live so that. <laughs> yeah. Other people could join in too because it just maxed out. People are, you know, very involved in that case. Mm-hmm. on so yeah, very much. That's really cool. I love that. So, with you starting out in Adnan's case, how did you then move into the West Memphis Three case? Well, it, there was a few steps in between there. So at the end, I only ever intended on doing Adnan's case, mm. and I didn't intend on doing that as long as I did. It was just supposed to be, you know, for fun, right? I got into it, you know, and, and like it got to a point where I'm like, like having a meeting with his lawyers at one point, you mm. know, like in Baltimore. I so like it. It, it, this got very real. Yeah. And then people started writing into me saying, hey, will you cover my son's case or my uncle's case or my mm-hmm. brother? You know, and I was like, well, we can't, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but I, I tried to figure out. I ended up, my listeners donated money to build me a little studio. And, oh my gosh, I love it. Uh, it yeah, so I ended up doing that, and it was um, just just a listener had written in and said that her uncle Kenny Snow um, told me the story of his wrongful conviction out of Tyler, Texas. Wanted me to tell that story or to investigate his case. We did. His case led to a guy named Ed Aid's case because mm-hmm. he had testified against Ed. Long story short, we Ed we got Ed released in 2018. He got oh. released after 20 years. Amazing, and like. A month ago, Kenny got released. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. So, so, but anyway, so we started doing that. And then it was just, and in that case, I had made, I had connected with the Innocence Project of Texas. Okay. So then for our season three, uh, IPTX then reached out to me and said, hey, we've got a case that we could use your help on. So I, that was my next one. Season four was another IPTX case. Uh-huh. And then I was looking for, you know, we get case submissions off. By that point, it was like, okay, well, this is like my thing now, right? This right. is my job. Like, I left the fire this. department. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so every season is a new case, and the West Memphis Three came about because when we were in, when I was finishing up season three in like 2017, I I study like I said, I'm not a true crime guy at right. all. Like it's emb- it's fucking embarrassing. <laughs> People are always like, you know, this case or that, and I'm like, yeah, I know, it's kind of like that one. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. Like no I love clue. That. Yeah, so. Um, but so I would study wrongful convictions because I was trying to study Patty. Mm-hmm. I, I had over the years developed a relationship with Jim Clementi, who was oh. a retired FBI profiler, yeah. who has become who was like a mentor to me. So Jim has taught me a lot, you know. So I'm constantly trying to learn this job that I have now that I have no training to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, so Jim would Jim has taught me a lot and would literally like run scenarios by me and teach and, and recommend books for me to read and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So. I worked on a lot of stuff from that. And then I would study wrongful conviction cases. A lot of what I was trying to learn was what I get a thousand case submissions a month for people that want me to cover their cases. And I'm right. like, I, what do I look for? Like, what are the, like, what can I tell on the surface? Because I can't do a six month, I, I don't have the kind of show, you know, like Serial or This America Life. They come out and do 12 episodes of Serial, make five, 10, 20 million dollars, and then they, you know, relax for a year while they prep for the next one. Yeah. You know, for me, it's just like week by week, I go, I don't take weeks off, go, 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 go. So, right. what can I see on the surface of a case that could indicate that it could be a wrongful conviction when I'm trying to screen cases? Mm-hmm. So, I, I was researching a lot of these cases, and I, and people had always, Robbie had told me that she got the idea for Serial from West of Memphis. And I'm like, right, yeah, that's no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> You're like, yes. Um, yeah, and then people all the time, you know, our season three case involved a false confession, and people were like, it's like Jesse Miss Kelly from West Memphis 3, and I'm like, exactly like that. <laughs> like, I had no idea. So you kept what, hearing it, but didn't I heard know. West Memphis 3 over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I decided one weekend, I think my wife was out of town for the weekend, I was like, well, there's some documentaries, I'm going to watch these documentaries. Yeah. And I saw, immediately when I started watching Paradise Lost, I'm like, oh, I saw that movie, The Devil's Not, that was about this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched the, and like my producer at the time, Mike, I was like tweeting him or like texting him real time. I'm like, 
holy shit, this case is crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched part two of Paradise Laws. I'm like, yeah. Mark Byers totally did it. You should see that. And then it was like part three, four hours later. I'm like, just kidding, not Mark. I think this is Terry Cobb's guy. I think this yeah. case is nuts. Uh-huh. And then uh watched Weston. So I watched all four of those documentaries in one weekend. And then uh, on Monday morning, Mike came into work and we were sitting there talking about it. And it occurred to me while I was talking about the case, I was trying to explain to him the details of it. And I was like, I don't, I could not remember the names of the victims. Like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember them at all. And I was like, how did I just spend eight hours watching documentaries on the same case? And I have no idea. It's not that they never said them, but it wasn't a primary piece of it, right? Yeah. And so I started looking at it a little more, and then I then I started, you know, luckily that case had a lot of online resources as far as the case files. So I started looking through them. And I was like, you know what? There's been a ton of investigative. It's a case I never would have thought I would have done because uh-huh. I like to cover cases no one's heard of before, you right. know, and and bring them to light, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 get them the help that they need. And this one, you know, they were already out. They already had all this, inf- you know, all all the support that's been out there for the West Memphis Three. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, the entire effort was to get those three out of prison. Nobody really ever focused on the victims. And what Jim Clementi has taught me is that a proper investigation has to begin with victimology. That's yeah. how you figure this thing out. I love that. And so mm-hmm. I just had the idea, like, let's do it. Let's start from scratch. We'll make the most exhaustive, in-depth, investigative series anyone has ever ever done about this case. And we and I think we did it. We did 50, 54, I think, something episodes that Amazing. are around 45 mm-hmm. minutes to an hour, plus 50 some follow-up episodes to that. So, you know, you're you're talking, you know, like well over a hundred hours. And it's every single, you know, it's and it's not just the big stuff you see on TV. It's every element of that case. Mm-hmm. So much stuff about victimology that I think ninety percent of people, ninety nine percent of people that kn- that know the case were unaware of regarding the victims. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was just another one where it was like I just wanted to do it and see if we can see if we can put it to bed and solve it and get and get it done. And you know, developed a relationship with you. Know, I met Jesse Miss Kelly, but I developed a relationship with Jason Baldwin. Become mm-hmm. really good friends with Damian Eccles mm-hmm. throughout the process and. You know, and I'm now involved with their legal team, and we were just in court a few months ago with yes. that case. So it's like just did a TV docu series on it, which is still bananas. I know, happened. I watched that. <laughs> <laughs> so cool! It I love that you got involved with that case, even though it was big, and that you took this different approach of focusing on the victims. And I think I told you when I talked to you on your show that I watched your um, crime con presentation. The Forgotten West Memphis Three. And Mm -hmm. I was really excited to go watch that because of that title, The Forgotten Three, The Victims, because that happens far too often in, I mean, large serial killer cases or wrongful convictions where the focus kind of goes elsewhere and we really like forgot what brought us here in the first place. Right. Because, you know, that wrongful conviction case wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the victim. And um, with the that case, I was always obsessed with um, Angie Dodge. I work with one of my clients is one of her best friends from when she was younger. And mm-hmm. when Chris Tapp just this year, he actually got awarded 11 over $11 million for his wrongful conviction, which he's been fighting for for years. It's incredible. That's awesome. Like, I'm, yeah, so excited. So, of course, I did a little blurb, a little update at the beginning Mm -hmm. of one of my episodes and just updated on the case and whatnot. And I mentioned Angie and, you know, like, we need to keep her family in our thoughts still. And her friend, the next time I saw her, she was so grateful that I even mentioned Angie because she said that Angie's mom, Carol, had called her up and said she was like happy for Chris, but it was really hard for her to see, you know, all this media in celebration for Chris. And she said like none, no media has mentioned Angie's name. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it is important. Yeah. So I really love the West Memphis three case. And and so many times you'd hear the West Memphis three were freed after being convicted of murdering three innocent boys. They would never say their names. Yeah. You would always hear right. 
three innocent boys. Um, three boys, three little boys. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, funny story. When I did that presentation at CrimeCon, that was the day we sold the show to Oxygen. Oh, really? So I, so I, we had pitched the show to Oxygen. So Jim Clemente was is on my production team along with John Cryer uh-huh. and his team. We had pitched to Oxygen, and we were just hadn't heard anything. And then I did the presentation, the Forgotten West Memphis Three, which wasn't in our pitch. Mm-hmm. It was, but that was the that was what I titled my podcast season. And uh, mm. what I titled the presentation, I, mm-hmm. I when I walked out of the presentation, I went back to my booth at CrimeCon. The executive from from Oxygen what happened was in the audience and came up to the booth and said, "We want it. Let's do it. Let's make it." Wow! So that's the day you got yeah. that. Yep, right then. That is amazing. And Jim Clemente was there. Yes. Right. Yep. And then one other person who was the other. There's three of you. Yeah, uh, well, Jim was there. John Cryer, uh, Ducky, if you know you're pretty in pink, or Alan Harper, if you know you're two and a half men. Oh, um, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, John, so John was the driving force behind the show to begin. John is the one that originally came to me Wow. Okay. way back, and he was a listener and said, hey, I think we, I think we should make this into a TV show. And we were working, pitching it and stuff. And it's, it's just a ton of work. I'll never do it again. It's just too much work. Um, <laughs> so much not, work, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's nowhere near the money. People think you think you're on TV. It's not. Yeah, no, it's not. Great. You're like, uh, yeah, not worth the months of your life that go into it. Um, <laughs> but it was worth it because it got the story out there in a very different way. Yeah, you know, I think it, like like I'm really proud that we got to see through our show that you got to see uh, the human side, the real side of Pam mm-hmm. Hop, Pam Hicks, and you yeah. got to see the human side of David Jacoby. And learn so much more about Stevie, Michael, and Christopher, you know, throughout the, you know, th- those are things that I wanted to account. And it's resulted in us now being back in court to try to get DNA testing done. Um, yeah. But, but John had, a, John and I had pitched the show and we weren't getting much traction. And I was talking to Jim one day and Jim has several shows uh, through mm-hmm. his production company. And like I said, he's been a mentor and a great friend of mine for a long time. So, you know, we brought him on the team and then. You know, we kind of pitched it of us doing it together, and that's what ended up happening. It just all came together. Very cool. So with the DNA, you guys went to court. They ordered that they were not going to test it. So, like, are you, are you guys going back to court? Like, is there more fight to be done? Is there things yeah. people can do to, like, help advocate for that and, like, fight for that? There will be. Um, we're, we're in a state, we're in a, like a regrouping stage right now. Uh, okay. so, cause everybody's asking like, what can I do? What can I do? And I said, right now, just, just, just stay, hold the line right now because mm-hmm. we are, so it was, it, it, the judge denied, first of all, the fact that the, the prosecutor can test the DNA any damn time they want to. Yeah. There was this mm-hmm. whole mess that'll take an hour to explain, but it was when we finally pressured them in through the TV show enough to test the evidence, then uh, the Cressman, the DA, said, oh, you know what? It, it's, it's lost. And then told the press that I think it was destroyed in a fire. And then the of police course. chief came out and said it was destroyed in a fire years ago. And through all this so a year of fighting, yeah, we find out that, no, it was just, you know, in the evidence room. But it, may, it could have been a good place to look for it. It was right there the whole time. Mm. Uh, and... And so then we're like, okay, so now we have it. We've all confirmed we have. We've physically gone, not me, but the team, the defense team, physically went to the defense and we saw the ligatures that we want to test. Mm-hmm. Let's test them. And the DA said, no, I'm not gonna. You're gonna have to fight it out in court. So then we file this motion in court to go to go get a judge to order them to test it, thinking like this is a no brainer. Yeah, like the Arkansas law is very clear. They have you have the right to test DNA, uh, yeah. and. So we go to court, and again, we're not saying exonerate them. Just let us test the evidence. We just want to prove who actually did this and put an end yeah. to this fucking nightmare after all these years. Yeah. And the judge, you know, that we we had uh, my audience raised the money to pay for an expert witness to come, and we had all this stuff all arranged. And then they we walked in, and the the judge said, "Oh well, that law about DNA testing is under the habeas corpus law, which literally translates into show me the body." And since your body is no longer in custody, even though he's still convicted, you don't have the right to test your DNA and denied it. So that's so it's where like thing. Complete bullshit. <laughs> like that is, yeah. that's, 
you don't have to provide the body to test the DNA. That's just stupid. Yeah. And it, well, and and, it, and by body, it literally means the the the, the offender's body, like being in custody <laughs> of the state. It's like no, that's actually not true because we talked about this a little bit too, where the DNA in Angie's case was tested after Chris was let out of prison and not, le- and he was still convicted right. murder. He was let out convicted for that murder they still fought super hard they tested the dna i they followed the guy out in boise they secretly followed him they picked up one of his cigarette butts they tested it it was him and then chris gets exonerated so yeah. why can't it be the same in the happens west memphis three case the time in states <laughs> around the country it happens all the time the, the idea that you have to be in custody is ridiculous now there's there are there lawyers that will tell you that the judge was correct because the Arkansas law does say it's under habeas and since he's not in custody it doesn't apply and there are lawyers that will tell you that she was wrong because it lists in the law three circumstances and you know it's it's like that they're in custody and are trying to get a, or mm. or they're unavailable and then it says or they are declaring or or uh, testing that they are actually innocent it says, or if they're saying they're actually innocent, which is what Damien Eccles is saying. Right. And, you know, again, that's, I'm not a lawyer. There are lawyers that say that or means what it means, means it mm-hmm. is not conditional to the things before it. And there are other lawyers that go, no, it doesn't matter because it's still in habeas. But where we're at now is we're appealing that up to, it's probably, it's gonna, it looks like it's going to go to the Arkansas State Supreme Court. Um, so the, the decision's being appealed. In the meantime, uh, there are efforts going on for us to try to get some people to, within Arkansas to sponsor a bill to change the law. And, oh. and literally all it has to say is just add a sentence that says you have the right to test DNA whether you're in custody or not. Absolutely. And, and that's a no-brainer. Yeah, and we've got some pretty good traction there, too. There's, there are a few, um, several, actually, lawmakers in Arkansas that seem to be on board with that. So yeah. it's kind of a two-pronged approach. But right now, like, everybody's mm-hmm. like, what can we do? What can we do? It's like, I, I don't know yet. We have to <laughs> like wait. Like, we're kind of waiting. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting to get my marching orders from Damien's attorneys, and we'll see from there. Yeah, I think everyone's so anxious to, like, help because it's such a tragic case. Like, yes, it's a wrongful conviction, but just the the crime itself is so horrific and tragic and, like, it pains me because it's kids and that's yeah. like what I'm most passionate about. And it's just like, it's not fair that they've gone this long without justice and without who has, you know, obviously whoever committed this crime has been out all of these years because those yeah. three that were convicted were clearly wrongfully convicted. Although, you know, you said there will always be naysayers, but I think yeah, it's someone's going clear. to say on the internet about this episode that you were wrong about that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, it's just from everything I've seen and the wrongful convictions. And I don't remember if they had a similar. I don't remember who kind of looked at their wrongful conviction, but I had watched a video on it. And it's sad when they use people. And like, I always actually feel bad to say it, but when they target people with the IQs that are lower, that they are able to mm-hmm. manipulate because that yeah. is really what happens. That's what happened in Angie's case, which again, I hate to say he he's smart and he is like an amazing person. But at that time he, he was just able to be manipulated with that. And it's so like unfair and like they're taking so much advantage of these people and it's not worth yeah. the conviction. Well, and people will say that about Jesse Miss Kelly too. You know, he like had an IQ yeah. test that showed seventy-two, and there and there are people out there that will tell you he faked it because if you look at a different test he took, he got seventy-seven and he got <laughs> eighty on another, which are all still pretty low IQs. But it doesn't matter because, as the experts will tell you, the suggestibility is not the same as intelligent. Yes, right. people with a lower IQ tend to be more suggestible, but also being young. Tends to make people yes. more suggestible. And certain pre- people just have that personality. And you hear it so clearly with Jesse Miss Kelly, like whatever they say, it was like, what time was it? Nine in the morning. You sure it wasn't later? It was noon. It was it was getting dark, right? Yeah. Like whatever they say, he just says yes <laughs> He's to. He's like, sure, exactly. At one point I had I had pulled the transcript 
and cut out every just Jesse's words. And I don't remember the numbers now. It's been too many years. But it was like it's something like 90-some percent of his responses in his interview where he's the one talking are yes, yup, uh-huh. Like it's just it's just, just him agreeing. agreeing with shit. Yeah. Yep. It's never him articulate and anytime he does articulate something that actually happened, whatever he's articulating is provably false. The evidence shows that's not what happened. Right. I it's it's wild that people aren't able to kind of look at that and critically think. Because obviously you yeah. taking that deep look, it's so clear to you. So I hope that what you guys are doing for that case will really like come full circle. And it's a hard fight, obviously, and so frustrating when things don't go through. But hopefully just with time, something can happen. You have a pretty good idea of who you think it might be, right? Yeah, I mean, I I have, I I do. I, I I I have someone who I think that is, Probably the best. It's funny you say that because someone just texted me today and said, <laughs> "Are you?" They said, "So you're pretty sure that this person is the is the one that did it, right?" And I said, "I said no." And by the way, and this is a private conversation. This is not just me like pretending on the internet. Right. This is a private conversation I had, <laughs> and I I said, "I don't know until we get DNA testing mm-hmm. done. I can't say who I think did it." And and based on my investigation, I think that. That, that this person is a very good suspect, but that right. th- they could be completely innocent. We need to do testing. That's what I want to do is just do the testing. Yes. So you can kind of get an idea, obviously. Like, I've watched those things. I There is a certain person that is a little suspicious, but with the DNA <laughs> testing. Well, like, the thing we got to be careful about is, you know, especially working in the wrongful conviction space, is to not make the same mistakes original investigators make, which is to get tunnel vision without evidence. Yes. Yeah, no, I love that approach where you can, like, look at these other things, but why, like, you can't actually make a definite decision without that DNA. Yeah, I think that if if investigators were looking, if they had put the same scrutiny on other suspects, they would have easily been convicted on the circumstantial evidence that's out there. The circumstantial evidence surrounding, say, Terry Hobbs is much stronger than the circumstantial yes. evidence that ever that ever surrounded Damien, Jason, and Jesse. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, like, it's, 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 by it's by far and, and away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't yeah. mean that he did it, but it mean, but it's, it, it should tell you that if we're willing to give him a pass on all this stuff. That you that you, you you gotta have the same standard on both sides here, you know. Yeah, because those three are still all, like kind of like Chris was. They're considered the convicted murderer, but they were let out. Yeah, yeah. So they're still they're, they're still convicted murderers, and that's hard. Just find jobs and like go about your normal life. So yeah, yeah, it really so, is. So before we kind of end out, like, thank you for all that information, first of all, because it's just like incredible insight into those two cases and into wrongful convictions. Um, I saw I wanted to ask just a little when you see cases that are like um, pretty popular and they're starting to get traction on like maybe they are wrongfully convicted. I just kind of wanted to see kind of your idea. I saw that Rabia might be working with Scott Peterson. So how do you kind of go about like getting rid of that tunnel vision? Um, I And I don't know what you think on it. I There's just a few cases where like that one is so hard for me to like get past, I guess, what I've been told. And I know about wrongful convictions. Um, like, mm-hmm. so how do you kind of put that to the side? And then as you get into it, when you if it you, comes down to it that they you find that they're not you know wrongfully convicted kind of like Maggie Maggie Freeling did in that um coverage and, she yeah, did murdered alliance yeah yeah how do you you know kind of come back and just put it out on the table like i investigated it and like i did what you've got to do you've got to do what maggie did which is to be honest with your listeners mm-hmm. the thing is like if you work in the space i get a hundred emails a week or messages a week telling me how biased I am about whatever case I'm working. Right now I'm working on a case out of a triple homicide out of Pinion Pines, California by uh-huh. Palm Springs. 
And there are people that right away are like, oh, you're biased. And you think, even though I'm saying over and over again, when I start the investigation, in, in that case, we're 30 episodes in. And I'm still like, mm-hmm. I don't know if they were wrong. Right. We're investigating this to figure out if they're wrongfully convicted. And I've right. always made, we had one season, season eight, where uh, it turns out, tragically, the person we were we were working with um, passed away in prison of COVID. Um, but we were right on the brink, if you were listening to that season, of me saying like, I don't know. Like, as I'm looking at the evidence, I'm not sure that she was wrongfully convicted. And in that case, we never had to get to a point where I had to really make a stand on it because she passed away. It was There was enough there that I was saying, you know what? I think we're going to move on. We can't help her now. She's gone. And so we shifted our focus into helping her daughter, um, uh-huh. you know, to, to help with burial. You know, we did a GoFundMe and helped oh. her with the burial expenses and stuff like that. That's awesome. And just mo- moved on from the case. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it's like with Scott Peterson. I don't know anything about that case. But I will tell you is uh, Robbie has a new podcast uh, uh-huh. called Robbie and Ellen Solved the Case. Yeah, uh, With I Ellen Marsh that. from the Obsessed mm-hmm. Network. Yeah. Um, and they did an episode. I actually was on their kind of follow-up episode, their their, Insta- or okay. their Instagram Live they did on it. Because um, okay. they had some questions about boating. Uh, so that was my role in the whole thing. <laughs> but but it's a, it's a perfect example. And I couldn't tell you at all if he's innocent yeah. or guilty. I have right. no idea. I mean, just in general, I've I've seen like what Nancy Grace said, and I'm not a fan. So I'm like, well, hopefully she was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but but listening to Robbie and Ellen break it, you know, Robbie is just spitting facts. That's all she's doing is saying, right. and, and she got so much hate for for because so many people are convinced that he's 100 percent guilty. But mm-hmm. she was just like, here's the, and I don't remember what the numbers were, but it was like, here's the 22 people. That said, they saw Lacey walking her dog that day. That Which were is never, crazy. yeah, yeah. That were never admitted into. That were never allowed to testify at trial. And yeah. here, there was like all this evidence. It was enough for me when I listened to it, and I trust Robbie enough to know. Like she's got nothing to gain by right. by changing anything. Yeah, and I was like. That's like, how do you argue with that? I can't be one of those people on the internet that was like. Don't try confusing me with your facts. I've already made my mind up. Totally. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know, but, but that's the way you do it. That's the way I do it. And, you know, it's made my show less popular. My show was much more popular. If you go back to season one and two and three, where like it was like I had the convicted person on the phone doing interviews with them all the time, much like Serial, where you hear from Mm -hmm. them all the time. And then I got to a point when I, when I did the West Memphis Three case where I was like, if this, if we're truly trying to find the truth and get evidence from the victim, I don't want to manipulate because it was like you want you want to have a, do a story about someone who's likable, right? And right. It, it was like, but wh- it just kind of, I just for me, I just kind of questioned. It's like, well, why? It shouldn't matter if they like them. No. And and I know how to investigate a case, and the way you investigate is mm-hmm. go from ground zero and you gather evidence and you look at witness statements, you compare that to the evidence, you develop hypotheses and compare them to the evidence. It's got nothing to do. With the person that's already locked up. So I've now, in the more recent seasons, you know, like the season we're doing right now, we're 30 episodes in. You haven't heard from the defendant. I've spoken to him, but you, have, but the right. listener hasn't heard from him because we're covering the evidence of the case and going the places where the investigation either went or should go mm-hmm. in the proper order. And they just, and it's just like, there are people like this, like, why haven't we heard about the case against Robert and Christian yet? I'm like, because there's no fucking evidence. Again. All the evidence is pointing <laughs> right. over here, and you want to look over here. Like, we're not there. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's so to me, that's how you sleep at night when you're doing this, and you handle the hate and don't give a shit, because I know what I'm doing, and I know where my motivations are, and it's just simply to yeah. find the truth. And you just and as long as your intentions. Facts. You investigate yeah. and report facts. Yeah. yeah. I like that approach where you're – like not trying to tell a single story, but you're trying to just present it openly and have an open mind. I'm going to have to Mm -hmm. listen to that episode. I've listened to Patrick and Jillian talk about Scott Peterson. And back Mm -hmm. then, who knows what their stances are now. They covered him a while ago, but you know, Jillian was like me, like, no, he did it. And Patrick was like, I don't know. So I'm really curious to go listen to the Robbie and Ellen one, I have a case that I, a lot of people think this lady is rightfully convicted and I think she probably isn't. And so I've seen that, what what you see where people are like so strong on it. I don't know if you know it, the Darlie Routier case, it's pretty oh, infamous. Yeah, I know case. 
and I, I haven't done like a crazy deep dive myself. It's just always one I've had in the back of my mind because she's on death row. And I think I like kind of I kind of believe she's innocent. I'd have to, you know, look further into it. But when I see forums talking about her, people are so determined to, you know, write these things that they think are fact. But then I've heard, you know, the opposite. Like, that's not really presented to you as like they as you think it was like this is. You're not, you know, hearing this new evidence, kind of like you said. So yeah. I like her that idea. Her case is a tough one. I actually looked into her case. It was pitched to me a while back. Uh-huh. And I actually exchanged a couple letters with her. Um, and I just, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't kind of like come to a conclusion that she was guilty, but it, I wasn't convinced <laughs> enough to yeah. commit the, and also as a, she's, she seems to have this thing where, and I've heard from a couple other creators that had the same type of situation where like you get uh-huh. in contact, you talk to them and then you're like, okay, well let's move to the next step. And then they, she kind of ghosts you or her team ghosts you or whatever. So, so it's like, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated case. That's when I'm on the fence about where it's like, I, you know, I've been convinced like maybe she is, but then I'm always telling people, I don't know. I'd feel really guilty if she isn't like, if she really did right. it because her poor kids. So you kind of do have that inner conflict I think regardless of kind of what you think like you obviously hope you're on the right track yeah and and I I think that the key is just to like when you're not sure don't be sure right and that's where people make the mistake like the internet doesn't work that way right you don't know you don't get to be not sure everybody has to have 100% black and white and like Mm -hmm. I just I don't operate that way if 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 I'm not positive if I'm not sure then I'll just be not sure and we'll just keep trying to find answers yeah, I was I just said that to my husband the other day like true crime is not black and white. It is like so yeah. many gray areas looking into a case and deciding how you feel, but I just kind of wanted to see your little stance on a case like that and I really mm-hmm. appreciate you coming on here with me. Like I said, that was a lot of insight that like I couldn't have provided my listeners myself, so I appreciate it. I think it will like do well for them in looking into these cases and just like double checking themselves when it comes to like wrongful convictions and you know their opinions. Yeah, well it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you loved Bob Ruff, make sure to give him a follow on all social media. You can find Bob Ruff, Truth and Justice Podcast, and the True Crime Binge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. You can visit their websites and just make sure to show Bob some love. I'll have all the links to his socials posted in the show notes.